0: I'm near this. Good morning. (laughs) How are we doing, guys? Good? What is a joy to be here in Boone with you guys, if we haven't met. Uh, My name is Zach Cunningham, and I'm here this morning with my incredible wife and partner in ministry, Mallie Cunningham, sitting right here. Uh, We are from the mothership over at Cornerstone Church uh, in Ames, uh, about to transition out, uh, as as Andrea uh, said, to go and to be a part of Uh, The East Lansing Church Plant, uh, where I'll be the Salt Company director or the college pastor of the church, uh, part of the Salt Network, uh, which is the name of our family of churches uh, that's passionate about really two things Jesus and college students. And so, 10 years ago, God gave a vision to Cornerstone Church uh, to stop trying to become like a a marginally better mega church uh, and build up the name of Cornerstone Church and instead. To go and plant churches across the midwest in university cities all with a passion to reach the next generation with the gospel and so in 2010 god used cornerstone church to plant its first church in at the university of iowa in iowa city and then in 2013 another church at the university of northern iowa both churches with salt companies with a passion to reach college students for the gospel and since then god has used our network to plant, yes, this church, Boone, Stonebridge Church, but also eight other churches and salt companies at universities across the Midwest, including Drake, uh, DMac, Minneapolis, Missouri, Penn State, and then last year at both the University of Kansas in Lawrence, Kansas, and the University of Wisconsin in Madison, Wisconsin. And God continues to raise people up and send them out to move and to be a part of these church plants. And then, God willing, this year we'll plant two churches, one at Michigan State University in East Lansing, Michigan. Go green. I don't know if there's any Gopher fans in here, but we put the beat down on you guys last night. Uh, One at East Lansing and the other one at the University of Florida in Gainesville. Two churches and salt companies. And then, God willing, next year, one at Indiana University in Bloomington. And so that's the Salt Network. And Uh, My wife and I, with that, uh, and 53 other people, will be moving in the next couple of months to East Lansing to start the Commons Church and a salt company at the University of Michigan State. And God has already blessed our church plant in so many different ways. Uh, First, with 53 people uh, who are going to move with us, Uh, our lead pastor, Austin Wadlow, and his wife, Leslie, will actually be moving in the next couple of weeks. To East Lansing. And then my wife and I uh, will be moving in May. Uh, we actually just found an apartment in East Lansing, which is a big deal. Uh, and I told the first group about this, so I'll say it again. Uh, we found it like four days ago, this apartment. We were there. Uh, and so we found it. It was beautiful. This new building, like upgraded kitchen, two bedrooms. The location was great. And so we go to the coffee shop after our long day of looking at like 12 apartments. And we Googled the reviews of this apartment. And that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to look up what people say. And it had like one star out of five. And all of the reviews said fire, fire. And it turns out that the building that we had looked at was brand new because the one before it actually caught on fire because of the fireplaces that were inside of it. And so Mali and I were like, hmm. Do we do we sign on? We're praying for discernment, Uh, and so we we actually did uh, sign on at that apartment complex. And just thinking, okay, either the Lord burned down that burned down that apartment complex to build a new one, which they don't have fireplaces now. They learned uh, and gave us like a great location, great price range, the quality's great. So either the Lord is just incredibly blessing us, or we're gonna find something wrong with it later, and our house is gonna burn down. And so. As you think about it, us just pray that that wouldn't happen. Okay, anyways, another thing. Um, this past week, actually, we took uh, a spring break trip to East Lansing uh, to have our very first Salt Company gathering at Michigan State. Uh, and we called it a preview service. And so that Mich- we would invite all the Michigan State students to come and get a preview of what Salt Company will look like. And so we had 50 students from across the network of churches give up their spring break to come with us to help start the Salt Company. And so we all pile into cars. And uh, my wife's Jeep Wrangler pulled a 5x8 U-Haul full of uh, sound equipment and flyers. And we drove a a cool 55 miles per hour all the way to Michigan. Uh, And we got there, and our plan was this. We're going to blitz the campus uh, with 5,000 flyers, 384 donuts, and 10 gallons of Starbucks coffee because college students love all of those things. And we're going to invite them to our preview service. And our prayer leading up into this preview service was, okay, we've got our 40 to 50 students who came with us. God, just give us 40 Michigan State students to come. And maybe of those 40, have 10 who are like bought in. And so we were praying that leading up. And so it's Tuesday night, the night of the service, and I'm downstairs prepping because I'm a little nervous going in. Uh, And so five minutes before we pray, And I go upstairs and just a side note, we rented out like this beautiful chapel at Michigan State. And so think like stained glass windows, this balcony and pews, like two rows of pews. And uh, down here, it would only fit 140 people. And then in the balcony, it would fit fit 10 more. So anyways, I'm downstairs prepping and I go up five minutes before we start. And the room was packed full of people. Uh, 140 people came out to our preview service. And of that, about 80 of them were Michigan State students who came and heard the gospel and worship with us. And, hey guys, it was incredible. We're still in awe of what God is doing already at Michigan State, and we haven't even moved there yet. And so we had girls come up to us after the service, and they were crying, saying, Man, we've been praying for this for years, and finally you've come. And we're like, Sorry we didn't come sooner. And, and the guys would come up to us afterwards saying, Man, we, we've never worshiped like that in our lives. And so we're still thanking God for all that he's done for us there at Michigan State. Uh, It was incredible. And as you guys know, as as you've read the book of Acts, uh, it wasn't due to our team's efforts or the cool aesthetics of the chapel that got people there, but the will and the pleasure of our sovereign Lord uh, who brought people to there to hear the gospel. And so that's an update uh, from what is going on at the Commons Church Uh, God continues to go before us, uh, advancing his church from that upper room in Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And we just get a front row watching God do God things. And so if that's an update from the Commons Church in uh, Salt MSU, uh, I'll give you an update about who I am and where we're coming from. Uh, If you can't tell from the accent, my wife and I are from Texas, the deep south, the heat of Texas. Uh, I had never seen snow before until I moved to Iowa. I had never experienced degrees lower than probably 29, much less sub 29. Uh, no one taught me to shovel snow before, and so the first time it, it snowed, uh, there was actually ice underneath the snow. And so I'm shoveling snow, and it's probably the least efficient way. I'm like going this way, and then I realize I have to go back this way. And, it, and I realize after I get the snow, there's this sheet of ice like this much. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. I'm like picking at it and kicking it, and nothing happens. And so I run up to the house where my wife is in our warm home, laying on the couch. And I'm like, Mally, bring me the hammer. And so she brings me the hammer. And I go go out, no joke, picture me on my hands and knees, just hammering this ice. And nothing happens. It's just like chipping. So anyways, I have another idea. So I run back to the house. I'm like, babe, the screwdriver. Bring me the screwdriver. And so she brings me the screwdriver. And now picture me hands and knees chipping away at this like it's the dang ice sculpture and now nothing it's really not doing anything but like chipping the ice and then I broke the glass on the screwdriver head because I was hitting it so now I have glass and ice everywhere uh long story short our neighbor uh came over and he in one motion did this and the entire sheet of ice just came up so anyways that's a Texas uh Texan trying to uh to live here that's not in my notes I don't even know where I'm at in my notes okay <laughs> My wife and I are from Texas. Uh, Mallie is right over here. She's the most incredible, godly woman I've ever met, and so I married her. Uh, We met there in college. We met in Texas at the University of North Texas in college uh, at a college ministry, much like the Salt Company. Uh, We quickly fell in love and got engaged last February. So uh, a year ago, we got engaged. Uh, And then spring break last year, so a year ago, like this week or last week, uh, we went on a mission trip to Panama City Beach, Florida, where the guest speaker at that camp was Mark Vance. Uh, and he had invited Malley and I to come to where he was staying that week to come talk to him and Crystal about what God was doing here uh, in Iowa. And so a little context here. I knew Mark uh, and a, a little bit about the Salt Network um, because Austin Wadlow, the lead pastor for the Commons Church, was actually our college pastor in Texas. And he had ditched us a year earlier for Ankeny, for the cornfields of Ankeny, Iowa. And so we knew about it. And so Mark says, hey, you guys come over to our place, building number two. And so Mallie and I go over there and we see Mark Vance shirtless in his pool with his three kids outside of uh, his building. He's like, hey, guys, come sit down. And so uh, we sit down and uh, no joke, shirtless Mark Vance, the pastor of Cornerstone Church, pitches us the job offer from the pool playing football with his boys and when I say the job offer I mean housing the salary of what I would be making the requirements all from tossing a football in the pool and Mally and I are sitting here like who is this guy pitching us this job offer but long story short we did accept the offer Uh, we got married on July 6th of last year Uh, the next day we went on our honeymoon for seven days and then three days later we packed everything we owned into a U-Haul and we moved to Ames, Iowa to be a part of what God was doing here and reaching college students with the gospel. And so we love college students. We love church planning. Uh, I believe the gospel is true and beautiful and Jesus is the best thing in the universe. And so just thanks for having us here this morning. Uh, It's an honor to get to study God's word with you guys. And with that, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn to Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22. We are continuing our trek through the book of Acts here. And it's one of my favorite books in the Bible because I never read it until I was in college. And I'd always thought, man, what happened after Jesus rose? What happened after he ascended? And I always thought, man, it would have been great to get like a detailed account of exactly what happened. Bless you. It would have been great to have a detailed account of exactly what happened when Jesus ascended and like the start of the church. Like, that would have been great. And I would always pray, God, why didn't you put one of those in the Bible? And then my ignorant self found the book of Acts, and it has been one of the, you know, greatest blessings in my life in the study of the church, and the Holy Spirit, and how the gospel got here uh, eventually to to Iowa. And so I hope that you guys have been encouraged through the book of Acts, uh, and and through what Matt and Joey have taught here. And uh, I am excited to get after it uh we're in acts 22 this morning and i have a lot of ground to cover four chapters to be exact so buckle up i think there's coffee in the back not sure what matt and joey were thinking but i am excited i'm gonna try my best to get through all four chapters uh okay here's a little background in the book of acts uh in jerusalem ad 30 jesus christ the son of god dies and he's put in a rich man's tomb. And he rises from the dead three days later. And then he ascends. And then 50 days after that, uh, the Holy Spirit falls on the disciples. And it, it gives them power and a plan. And the church is born. And then Peter preaches the first sermon. And 3,000 people come to know Jesus. And the church is growing and it's unified. And, and God would use Jesus, uh, Peter and, and John to preach the gospel and do miracles. And then all of a sudden 5,000 people are there, and then God would continue to use them to raise up the gospel and, and to push it away from Jerusalem, and then in AD thirty one, Stephen the martyr is killed, and the church spreads throughout uh, the area. And then in AD thirty four, three years later, Jesus shows up on the scene and he he calls out the apostle, or not the apostle, but Saul of Tarsus, for persecuting Christians, and he calls him out and he calls him home and makes him one of the greatest missionaries to ever live and the greatest church planner to ever live and would use him to push the church to the Gentiles. And and Jesus would show up to Peter in a vision and say the gospel is meant to go to the Gentiles as well. And then Paul, and after that, actually, the center of Christianity would move from Jerusalem up into Antioch, which is going to be the sending church of Paul and Barnabas to go on his missionary journeys. And Paul would go and he would travel Asia and he would travel Greece, starting churches and preaching the gospel. And then he would make his way back to Jerusalem where he would get arrested. Uh, And then right before he's about to get beaten, he says, hold up, I'm a Roman citizen. And in the time, Roman citizens had a, a right to not be beaten and for a fair trial. And so the Jews don't beat him. Instead, the Romans protect him. And right now, that's where we're at in Acts. So Paul is about to go on trial three times today. And we're going to look at what does Paul do when he's on trial? How does he act? What does he say? And somehow be encouraged by that. And so I've never been on trial before in front of a judge or a jury. Never had to give a testimony. Uh, Raise your hand if you have. I'm just kidding, Joey. Put your hands down. Anyways, I've never experienced uh, a trial Before, but the closest thing that I've experienced to being on trial is my wedding. And here's what I mean by that Uh, my wife and I actually started planning our wedding on date number two. And no joke, we left a game night to go home uh, and look at wedding venues. And then two months later, we got engaged. uh, And I didn't realize the amount of work that goes into planning a wedding Uh, all the invitations, all the save the dates, the flowers the seating arrangements, the registry stuff, the vows, the flow of the service, the DJ, the music, all of it. I didn't realize all the work that would go into it, but I'll tell you what. My wedding was the best day of my life. It went as smooth as we could have ever imagined. And I'll never forget standing up here uh, with all my groomsmen here and uh, Mally's bridesmaids over there. And Austin was here, the efficient for the wedding. Uh, And then silence across the room. As nothing but the blood, the old hymn comes on. And just as it gets to, oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. The doors open and my beautiful bride comes down the aisle with her dad. And I'm crying and she's not crying, but I'm I'm crying. And then I take her from her dad uh, and we start the ceremony. Now, you might be asking yourself, what does that have to do with a trial? Well, I'm glad you asked, because every wedding, uh, really every ceremony, not just mine, is very significant, especially the vows, the vows of the ceremony. Because literally, those are a testimony to everyone there, to the officiant, to your bride, and to God, that you are committed to this one, to that one person. In that moment, I was testifying to everyone in the room, hey, I'm with her. I'm with her, to the friends, the family, the 200 people that we packed into this room. Hey, Mally is mine. But not only was I making a testimony to everyone in the room, hey, I'm with this one. But also, in that moment and leading up to that moment, I made a testimony to myself. Because it's one thing to tell someone you love them. It's another thing to feel the feeling of love. But it's a whole other thing to make a commitment to, to loving someone. Until you die. And so in that moment. As I was making my testimony to everyone. I was also making the testimony to myself. That I love this girl. I'm going to cherish her forever. I'm never going to forsake her. And so in that moment. As I say yes I, I do. Also I'm saying Zach you love this girl. This is the one for you. I believed it in my bones. And the only reason that I could stand there. And externally tell everyone my testimony is because I first believed in myself I believe mally was the one for me and because of that I could stand there with joy And tell the whole world I'm with mally now Today in the next 20 minutes We're going to be looking at paul on trial Standing there three different times Giving a testimony To everyone and I want to look at two things really that we can learn from the apostle paul and first is He's going to give his testimony to everyone he sees. Anyone who can breathe, Paul is going to share his testimony of his love for Jesus. But the second thing I want to look at as we end later is what was his heart behind it? Because you'll see Paul also had an internal testimony that he was preaching to himself. And so we're going to look at that today. Okay, first we're going to look at Acts 22 verse 30. And we're going to look at three different trials where Paul is going to preach the gospel. And so let's pick up in Acts 22, verse 30. It says this. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why Paul was being accused by the Jews, he, the Roman tribune, unbounded him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council... Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up until this day. And the high priest, Ananias, commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. And then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? And those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And this is funny. Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, when Paul perceived that one part of the council was Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the assembly was divided, for the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angels, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisee party stood up and contended sharply, we find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go back down, to take him away from among them by force, and to bring him into the barracks. Okay, so Paul is brought before the religious council. Uh, He accidentally calls out the high priest uh, and then apologizes for it, uh, which I think is funny, and I'm actually really glad it's in the Bible, um, because one of the reasons why I trust the Bible is if I was a disciple of Jesus, or if I wanted to make all this stuff up, Let's just say I wanted to make it up. I feel like to get people to believe it, I would remove all the stupid stuff the disciples of Jesus do. Like I would just take it out. Why put it in there? But The fact that Luke leaves it in there gives me great confidence that this actually happened. And so Paul calls out the high priest. And many believe it's because he was blind at the time. Paul writes in Galatians, I believe, that there's a thorn in his flesh given to him by God. And something, it's a bad eyesight. So he couldn't see and he calls out the high priest. Uh, Then he apologizes for it. But then he's going to share his hope in a resurrection, Uh, which is genius because Paul somehow is able to tell that there's Pharisees and Sadducees in the room. And the Sadducees don't believe in a resurrection from the dead. And the Pharisees do. So Paul, knowing that he, he, he might be killed, sits here and says, hey, everyone listen aren't I on trial for some sort of resurrection? And the place just erupts. I mean, they're fighting. And Luke actually records that afraid Paul would be torn to pieces among them. Literally a picture of the Pharisees on one side and the Sadducees on the other side, fighting and pulling away. And the soldiers knew that Paul was a Roman citizen. And they had to protect him because he was not allowed to be beaten. And so instead, they grab Paul and they take him Uh, from the council, because they have to protect him. And so Paul, on trial before the Jews, shares his hope with them. And we're going to see every chance that Paul gets to share the gospel, he does. And then every time he shares the gospel, there's going to be opposition to him. And this time, it's a death threat. Because what happens after this is the Jews, who are ticked at Paul, 40 of them come together, and they're like, We're not going to eat food or drink water for 40 days until we kill Paul. So they make a band against Paul to kill him. And then, surprisingly enough, Paul's nephew hears about the plan, runs back to Paul, and he says, guys, are going to kill Paul. And the Romans are like, no, they're not. And so he takes them by night, and he sends Paul with 500 soldiers to Caesarea to meet with the governor of the area. And so now Paul is over here and the Jews follow him because they're still ticked. And they're going to come to the governor and they're going to say, this man is a a public nuisance. He's a ringleader of the Nazarenes and he desecrated the temple. So the Jews come to the governor and like, this dude is a criminal. And then Paul on trial again for the second time, this time, not with the mayor, but the governor is going to share his same hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So look with me again in chapter 24, verse 10. Chapter 24, verse 10, Paul says this. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it's not been more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards both God and man. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation, present offerings. And while I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple, no crowd or tumult, but some Jews from Asia. And they ought to be here before you to make an accusation, Should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than this one thing that I cried out, While standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial for you this day. And so in front of the Jews and the governor, Paul is going to testify against the charges brought against him. And here's his defense every time. All I am doing is preaching the same hope that these Jews have had for centuries. Their prophets wrote about a coming Messiah who is going to come. And all I'm doing is saying, he came. Jesus is here. I've seen him. I talked to him. And so he tells the Romans, I mean, the the governor, hey, this is an in-house issue. I mean, they just disagree with me. But I haven't done anything wrong. So the governor doesn't know what to do. uh, And then you keep reading. He actually has a familiar knowledge of the way or Christianity. Look at verse 22. But Felix having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off saying, when Lysus the tribune comes down, I'll decide your case. And then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. And then look at this. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about what? About faith. In Christ Jesus. So, Paul, in front of the governor and the governor's wife, uses that opportunity to share the gospel and to share his faith in Christ. And then, look what happens. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. And at the same time, he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul, so he sent for him often and conversed with him. So here's what happens. Felix hears about righteousness and about Jesus and about the coming judgment, or basically he has an encounter with the gospel and instead of believing it, he pushes it away and says, go away, I'll talk to you later. So what happens in that moment is Felix is convicted of his lack of righteousness and his lack of self-control. And instead of believing the gospel, he, he turns it away. He pushes it away. But he, but he kept coming back for a bribe from Paul. But instead of giving him money, Paul just gave him the gospel again and again. And then it says, when two years had passed, two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. And so he shares the gospel with the Jews and he gets death threats. Then he shares the gospel with Felix, the governor. He gets ignored for two years. And Felix, here's what happens. He finds no fault in Paul. Paul's an innocent man. So he can't sentence him to death, but also he can't let him go. Why? Because the Jews would riot. And so instead, he just leaves them in in jail until a new guy comes on the scene. So we go from Felix to Festus. And so Festus is the new guy in charge. And he has absolutely no idea why Paul is in prison. And so he asked Paul, he says, hey, you just want to go back to Jerusalem? Do we'll take care of this. It'll be quick. And Paul's like, heck no, I'm not going back to Jerusalem. Those, I haven't done anything wrong to the Jews. And instead he says, I appeal to Caesar. Send me to Rome. And what happens in that moment is because Paul is a Roman citizen, he has a right not just to be beaten, not just to a fair trial, But if he wants, he can appeal to Caesar. And when that happens, Festus is bound by Roman law to send Paul not back to Jerusalem, but to Rome to be tried in Caesar's courts, which is where the Holy Spirit told Paul that he was going to go to preach the gospel. That was his mission. I've got to make it to Rome. And so he knew in his back pocket, I'm going to Rome. So he sends him to Rome And Festus runs into trouble because before he sends Paul to Rome, he's got to write a letter saying, hey, this is what Paul did wrong. Here are his charges, but there's nothing wrong with it. But lucky for him, his friend, King Agrippa II comes on the scene. And if you remember from the book of Acts, his dad, King Herod Agrippa I, is the one who killed James and put Peter in prison. So now we're at King Herod Agrippa II. The second, and his wife show up on the scene, and and what does it say? Basically, Festus says, "Guys, I'm glad you're here. I've got this dude in jail for no crime, just a disagreement in their religion. Can you help me?" And the king's like, "Yeah, I'll listen to him tomorrow." And so, for Paul, who has sat in prison for two years for just being faithful to the gospel, gets another shot, and this time it's not the mayor. It's not the governor, but it's the king and all of the king's men. And he's going to use this opportunity to share the gospel. So he shares kind of his past life before Jesus. And then we're going to pick up in chapter 26, verse 12. 26, verse 12. Paul's going to describe his encounter, bless you, with Jesus. Verse 12. In this connection, I journeyed, Paul said, to Damascus, with the authority and commission of the chief priest. And at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand upon your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to anoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to that heavenly vision, but I declared first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. And for this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and they tried to kill me. But to this day, I've had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying, both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And so Paul boldly proclaims the gospel to everyone, that Jesus is the long-promised Messiah who's going to suffer and die. And then, One of my favorite dialogues in all the Bible. Look at verse 24. Paul gets interrupted. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you crazy. But Paul said, no, I'm not out of my mind, the most excellent Festus. But I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things. And to him, I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this hasn't been done in a corner. So Paul says the king knows about Jesus and the claim that he rose from the dead. The news is traveling fast and all over. I don't need to tell him anything. And then look at what King Agrippa says or what Paul says to the king in verse 27. King Agrippa, you believe the prophets? I know you do. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day, might become such as I am, except for these chains. And I love this. The king asked, he asked Paul, Are you trying to persuade me to be a Christian? You think you can persuade me this fast? And this is the most influential person that Paul has seen to date. He's the king and he puts his own life on the line and and the king says, hey, are you trying to persuade me to be a Christian? He says, yes. Whether it takes two seconds or two decades, I hope that you, Festus with his funny name, the whole Praetorian guard, would become such as I am just without these chains. I want them to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. And so Paul on trial yet again, shares the gospel because his strategy was get the gospel to as many people as possible. Okay, so that's our text for today. Now, what can we learn from Paul's life? What are some things that we can take away from what Paul did? And at the beginning, I said there was two things that I wanted to take away from what Paul did. And the first is what I've been saying all morning and what Stonebridge has been teaching all year, and it's this preach the gospel. Share the gospel. You have opportunities all around you. Pray for opportunities to preach the gospel. Ask God for help to open your eyes to people around you that you can share the gospel with. Because the truth is, the same spirit that Paul followed, and he was empowered with, lives in you today to share the gospel. And I love what one pastor said about sharing the gospel. He said that the gospel came to you because it was headed to someone else. The gospel came to you on its way to someone else. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. The reason why you got saved. The, re- the reason why God saved you was to help save someone else. To use you to share the gospel and save someone else and someone else and someone else. And that's what the book of Acts is all about. The church starting because people were faithful to the call to share the Gospel and here's the deal the Holy Spirit doesn't just use superheroes like Paul to share the Gospel. no, you read the book of Acts, man those are new believers, baby believers, two week old believers they didn't go to any equipping course or some conference to learn how to do this all they did were they were faithful to the gospel and then you read the Bible you know who started the, the church in Antioch the great sending church of Paul on his missionary journeys, you know what the Bible says started that church? Those people. It doesn't even list them by name. It says those who were scattered because of the persecution started Antioch Church, the great sending church of Paul. And the point is that God can use anyone in here, and he will, to share the gospel with people because we've been given the command. And the power to share the gospel. And I love that Matt taught last week about your God story. And that you should memorize it and know your God story. And shrink it down to two minutes and be ready to pull it out with anyone. And that's the the strategy is use it. Share the gospel. But with the rest of our time today, I want to take at the look of the heart behind it the heart behind it. What why did Paul share the gospel? What was in him? What was forged in his bones that compelled him to go? And I want to show you from the passages that we read today, three times Paul goes on trial and he shares the gospel. And each time, he uses the exact same word, the same phrase every time that he was on trial before the Jews or the governor and the king. And I want to show it to you. So take your Bible, And look at Acts chapter 23, verse 6. This is when he was with the Jews, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. Acts 23, verse 6. It says this. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I'm a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial today. Okay, so it's with respect to the hope of the resurrection that I'm on trial. Okay, hold that. Go to Acts chapter 24. Acts 24, when he was with Felix, verse 14. Acts 24, verse 14. <laughs> Shh, we're going to listen to it. Acts 24, verse 14. It says this. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. Okay, so I have a hope in God for the resurrection. Now, last one, go to Acts 26, when Paul was in front of the king. Each time he was on trial, he said the exact same thing. Acts 26, verse 6, Paul says, And now I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hoped to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I'm accused by the Jews. O oh, king, why is it thought incredible By any of you that god raises the dead and so each time that paul is on trial sharing the gospel He mentions something that he has Something that was in him something that gripped him and compelled him to go And he says it was his hope in the resurrection Paul had a hope And hope is something you can't see it. You can't touch it, but it's in you It grips you and it drives your actions and you want, to know, you want to know why Paul was able to share the gospel with so many people? Because he believed it was true. Because he believed the gospel was true in his heart of hearts. The gospel was forged deep in him. And he was constantly remembering Jesus, believing in the gospel, and preaching it to himself. And the reason why Paul was able to convince people of the gospel is because he was convinced himself. He was convinced himself. And so you can have a strategy to share the gospel. You can know your God's story. You can know what to say and, and when to say it. But unless in the moment, in that moment, you are gripped by the truth of the gospel itself. Unless you truly believe that Jesus rose from the dead and that sinners need to hear it. In that moment, if you don't believe that, you're not going to share the gospel with anyone. You've got to know it, and you've got to believe it to be true, that Jesus is Lord. He did die on the cross, and he's the only way anyone is going to heaven. Because if you don't believe that in the moment, you're not going to preach the gospel to anyone. And I'm speaking from experience. So I know the gospel. I've preached it. I believe it to be true. But you put me on a bus or a plane. So you, you, you put me standing here with my headphones in. And I'm listening to worship music. And then you put a guy, sit him right there. And he looks like he needs the gospel. And by that, I just mean he's sitting there. And I know that I'm supposed to share the gospel. But what happens in that moment, it's like I'm on trial before myself. In that moment, I'm in my head. You know, what if he has already heard it? What if he's about to get off? What if people make fun of me? What if it gets awkward? And in that moment, I'm on trial before myself and I have to convince myself that the gospel is true and that I have to share it with him. And I'm like, Zach, do you actually believe it? Do you believe that that guy without the gospel will spend eternity away from God? Because if in, in that moment I believe that, I will tell him. But what happens is oftentimes I lose that trial and I walk away from gospel opportunities. And the reason why Paul didn't walk away was because he believed the gospel and he was gripped by it. And he had a hope in God that was so sure, so deep in him. So my only exhortation to you guys as you try to share the gospel is this, preach the gospel to yourself. Every day when you wake up, preach that you are a sinner in need of grace and that you did nothing to save yourself. Preach that, depend on God. Have a hope in God, not in your ability to persuade men. Because we we can plant and we can water, but the Bible says that God is the one who causes the growth. Only God saves, only him. From first to last, salvation belongs to the Lord. And so to close, all I want to do is say this. The gospel is true. It's true. We were on trial before God because of our sin. But 2,000 years ago, another trial happened where an innocent man kept his mouth shut. And instead, he carried a cross to Calvary, and he was hung on a tree. And on that cross, he buried the weight of our sin and our shame, and he declared it was finished. And he was buried in a rich man's tomb. And because of that trial, on our ultimate trial, not the one in our head, but the one before our creator in the end, We do not stand condemned, but we are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, his death for ours, his life for ours, and that trial for our trial before God. And because of that, we are gripped and we believe it and we have to share it with others. So preach the gospel to yourself and then go and preach it to others. Let me pray for us.